Welcome to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio, sponsored by EarthX, the world's largest environmental experience, and also sponsored by Natural Awakenings Magazine. Live your healthiest life on a healthier planet. Now, here's your host, Bernice Butler. Welcome to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio today. We are now in our second season and even more excited than ever to continue to help you to explore and understand the unbreakable relationship between your health and the health of the planet. Here we look at the hottest topics related to our environment and its sustainability and how they affect your health and wellness. Here, issues like climate change, plastic pollution, extreme weather events, and others will meet up with everyday health impacts like allergies and asthma, digestive issues and gut health, cancers, lung and heart issues, and more. So listen in today as we interview experts for today's show on cities, built environment, and infrastructure, that's our monthly theme. And today we're going to specifically focus in on the indoor environments and health, impacts of cleaning products, sick buildings, and more. Indoor environments contribute significantly to total human exposure to air pollutants as people spend most of their time indoors. In fact, we spend about 90% of our time in shelters or, in other words, in buildings. We sleep, eat, work, relax, exercise, play, we're born in, and we die in these buildings. In fact, we live within walls. Therefore, at a very fundamental level, an indoor environment is crucial for our health and safety. Indoor air quality is influenced by penetrating outdoor air, by specific indoor air pollution sources, and by interaction between buildings and its occupants. Some pollutants may even be two to five-fold more concentrated inside than outside buildings. And indoor pollutants may have an important biological impact, even as low concentrations over long exposure periods. Indoor exposure occurs mainly at home and in schools, but also in microenvironments such as cars, buses, trains, subways, and airplanes. Our built environment includes all these human-made physical spaces where we live and where we talked about spending 90% of our time. In addition to our buildings, though, and these microenvironments, building environments includes furnishings, open and public spaces, roads, utilities, and other infrastructure. These structures and spaces affect our health in numerous ways, and we're currently in a timely recognition of the relevance to health and well-being of the indoor environments where people, again, spend most of our time. Even in temperate climates, including that of the United States, people spend most of their time indoors, again, at work, at home, in transportation, and in these other public and private places. And the quality of our indoor environments affects well-being and productivity, and risk for diverse diseases are increased by indoor air pollutants and surface contamination with toxins and microbes and contact among the people at home, at work, in transportation, and again, in many other public and private places, as we've recently seen with our COVID pandemic. Many, many sources of air pollutants exist indoors, emitting different types and amounts of air pollutants, depending on the materials and the fuels used, as well as the type of human activity. The emphasis on the built environment indicates a shift 
toward a more holistic approach to indoor environment and the public's health, a shift that's consistent with the broadening recognition of the multiple levels of environmental factors from personal to global that determine an individual's health. This is a lot. And so here today to help us unpack some of this are three highly accomplished experts who span this whole field of indoor environments and the impacts on our health. And we're just so excited that we could get such smart people to help us look at this. Starting out, we have Dr. Stephanie McCarter, MD. Dr. McCarter is an internal medicine and environmental medicine physician at the Environmental Health Center Dallas. She has spent 15 years of experience in the field of environmental medicine and has built her own eco-friendly, low-EMF home, working with world-renowned experts in healthy house building. And I know last year we had Dr. Chang who helped in her house. She has lectured on environmental medicine in the areas of indoor and outdoor air quality, avoiding pollutants in air, food, and water, evaluation and treatment of electromagnetic field sensitivity, and on preparing antigens for immunotherapy. Dr. McCarter has been acknowledged for her work on Dr. William Ray's book, Reversibility of Chronic Degenerative Disease and Hypersensitivity, and she has extensive experience in electromagnetic sensitivity, lecturing on the subject at the American Academy of Environmental Medicine and at the International Symposium on Man and His Environment in Health and Disease. And Dr. McCarter is board certified in internal medicine and is a member of the American College of Physicians. Our next guest is Ruthann Norton with Green and Healthy Housing Initiative. Ruthann is the president and CEO of Green and Healthy Homes Initiative, and she's a national expert on lead poisoning prevention, innovative financing, and healthy, safe, and energy-efficient housing. Ruthann is a leader in the fight to end lead poisoning and the toxic legacy it has left on generations of American children. Ruthann has led Green and Healthy Housing Initiative's innovative work, to use housing as a platform for improved health, economic, and social outcomes. She is the architect of Maryland's 98% reduction in childhood lead poisoning and has authored 35 pieces of lead poisoning prevention and healthy housing legislation across the U.S. As an economist by training, Ruthann is a speaker on the moral and business case of creating healthier housing to improve outcomes for children, seniors, and communities. And her work on healthy housing cost-benefit analysis has led Green and Healthy Housing Initiative to establish its pay-for-success practice to scale evidence-based interventions for safe and energy-efficient housing, which you'll talk to us about later. Our other guest is Bill Walsh with the Healthy Building Network. Bill is a founder and a board member of Healthy Building Network. He currently serves as strategic advisor to the organization. And Bill created Healthy Building Network in 2000 to define the leading edge of healthy building practices that increase transparency in the building products industry, that reduce human exposure to chemicals in building materials, and create market incentives for healthier innovations in manufacturing. Bill has been visiting professor at Parsons School of Design. He was a founding member and currently serves on the advisory board of the Healthy Babies Bright Futures Initiative. 
and he was a founding member of the Health Product Declaration Collaborative. Bill has received the U.S. Green Building Council Leadership and Advocacy Award. He is a fellow at the Lowell Center for Sustainable Production at the University of Massachusetts, and he was awarded the Healthy Schools Hero by the Healthy Schools Network and was honored with an Environmental Justice Leadership Award. Welcome, each and all of you all. Again, we're very honored to have such a stellar group of experts. Thank you for being with us, and again, welcome all of you all. Thank you for having us. Be here. I want to start out and throwing this question out to each of you, and that is, what do you see as the major issues and problems with indoor environments from your work perspective? And we'll start with Ruthanne. You know, as we look at it, Bernice, the reality is the biggest problem with unhealthy housing is on the outcomes uh, for families. If we look at the indoor air quality issues, right, that come from poorly weatherized, poorly ener uh, energy inefficient housing, um, causing extreme heat and extreme cold and exacerbating respiratory disease, that translates actually into the reason that the number one reason kids miss school, meaning it undermines their long-term opportunities in education. If we look at the toxin issue in older housing in many of our urban communities and even in our rural communities of lead paint or in some areas of the country radon, uh, in the case of lead, a child who arrives in the classroom is not there healthy, ready to learn and, to, and earn and compete for a lifetime. Instead, they show up with cognitive deficits on reading, on socialization, and on long-term uh, graduation rates and earning. So the impact of unhealthy housing is what we look at. We're going to go to Bill next. From your perspective, what do you see is primarily the major issues and problems with the indoor built environment and health? Well, there are, there are uh, three things that I would focus on um, today based on a, a study that just came out uh, by the Harvard School of Public Health this month, um, looking at chemicals that are found in the household dust um, and uh, specific chemicals that are related to our building products included flame retardants, and stain repellents that are often used uh, in our on our carpeting, in in many different types of plastics that are used in our building materials and our electronics and so forth. And um, the these chemicals in the dust will are associated with a, a, a wide variety of uh, negative health impacts. And to uh, echo what Ruth said, the, the the real challenge with this is that um, some of these may cause acute health issues like asthma, but many of them play out over the long-term health of the children. And building products aren't designed for children. We'll be right back on the other side to continue this interesting conversation that is just amazingly interesting right out of the gate. We'll be right back on the other side of the break. And we want to give a shout out now to our sponsors. That is EarthX, the world's largest environmental experience, 
promoting environmental awareness through Expo, conferences, film festival, and now EarthX streaming TV service. Our other sponsor is Natural Awakenings, Dallas-Fort Worth Magazine, the Green, Healthy, and Sustainable Living Authority for the DFW Metroplex and North Texas communities. Print issues of Natural Awakenings can be found in all Whole Foods markets, Natural Grocers, Central Market, Sunflower Shops, and many, many other locations, as well as available online free for download at nadallas.com. Our other sponsor is North Haven Gardens, serving the Metroplex since 1951, the most respected horticultural establishment in North Texas, offering gardening and plant education, concierge services, DIY classes, gifts, and more. Check them out at nhg.com. And our other sponsor is Lynn Dental Care, practicing dentistry for over 38 years with a holistic approach, non-mercury, looking at the whole body. Specializing in periodontics, Dr. Lynn is board certified by the International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology. Check them out at lindentalcare.com. Thank you, sponsors. Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio. To today's show on indoor environments and health impacts of cleaning products, sick buildings, and much, much more. And we are back with our experts, Dr. Stephanie McCarter with the Environmental Health Center of Dallas, Ruth Ann Norton with Green and Healthy Housing Initiative, and Bill Walsh, founder of the Healthy Building Network. Again, thank you all so much. And we're just getting into this. And Bill left us hanging on this cliff before the break when he made the statement that building products are not designed for children. Yet, they all experience children. What's up with that, Bill? I just don't get it. <laughs> yes, you know, typically when building products are designed, they're uh, you know, designed with the kind of average adults in mind, carpets, which are thought to be something that will be kept underfoot. Um, however, if you really look at how children engage in the built environment, they're spending a lot of time crawling on the carpet um, and, and uh I've, I've watched toddlers lick the carpet. And uh, same with furniture. You'll watch a, a young teething child put their mouth right on the corner of a table or on the edge of a chair. And so there are chemicals in this environment that are uh, very dangerous uh, for uh, human health, especially for young children. And we really should be designing our products. And we actually can design our products. We've learned that we can design our products with most vulnerable populations in mind, and that would include uh, children, of course, but also people who have uh, respiratory illnesses, asthma, for example. So um, it is now possible to find a wide range of products that have uh, eliminated the use of some of these most problematic chemicals. And I think that's uh, that's a really strong advance. We're acting on information uh, faster than we did with lead. I think the lead example is, is very important when we think about building products because we had that information for upwards of 70 years before we took regulatory action to prohibit the use of lead in paint. So what we now suggest is in addition to government regulations that would be more protective of human health, um, that, that people act on early information before regulation gets to the point. And if you see a chemical that's been banned in, uh, in children's products, um, it, it should, you should avoid that in your building products as well. An excellent example is a, a chemical called phthalates that used to be 
used in all of our vinyl products and wall coverings and flooring, et cetera. Uh, and that has been uh, largely phased out in the United States, not by the government, but simply by market pressure. Uh, so you want to make sure that if you're buying ever buying vinyl flooring, that you would get a phthalate-free formula. And that's, that information is not widely available. Are most vinyl flooring products at this point free of phthalates or not? I, yes, most flooring uh, and wall covering are free of phthalates. Uh, however, it's not illegal to use it. So um, uh, brands that are uh, well-known and made in the United States, you can be more assured that they won't have these chemicals. Uh, and you do have to be much more careful with um, imports, especially Asian imports uh, that may still use these types of chemicals. So we've talked a lot about the building materials and lead. Now we want to go to Dr. McCarter. What you're seeing, Stephanie, as it relates to the built environment and health, what are you seeing as the major issues? Right. So I started working with Dr. Ray several years ago. He's run this center for 40 years. And the very first thing he taught me was how important the home environment was. And since that time, we have seen an exponential growth in young people and children, especially with neurological problems and digestive issues. So we think about breathing, we think about respiratory irritants and asthma, but just to give you an example, um, Richard Lear did a, a study in 2016 and looked at um, the last 15 years before that of neurological diseases, and we are seeing uh, a 299% increase in autism, Bipolar disorders up 10,000%. Uh, we're seeing a lot of this ADD. You know, we are uh, basically, our children's health is deteriorating rapidly. We have one in 35 children now with some sort of autistic behavior. We have one in 20 kids with seizure disorder and one in 10 kids with ADD on the average. And what we are learning, because what we do here at the center is we actually measure metabolites in the urine of all these different chemicals. And what we're seeing is this growing trend of young people and then children having a bioaccumulation is what we are seeing of these high levels of solvents and the things that Bill and Ruth are talking about. Um, we're seeing a lot of heavy metal. And the children, I think, you know, Dr. Ray, we talked about the fact that the parents are passing this on and then they're getting, this, you know, children are a high metabolizer, so they absorb very high amounts of things. And so when you look at carpet, you've got all these volatile organic compounds. Well, you've also got those in your fragrance, in your plug-ins, in your cleaning products. And now we have so many things, like they mentioned, on the market where you don't have to do that. But it's this constant exposure that's affecting their nervous system. And then the GI tract becomes inflamed. And so we're seeing this exponential growth in allergies. And not just, you know, mold and pollen allergies, but food allergies. So it's very concerning. And I think it's really exciting that we're moving towards healthy houses. Because that, like I've learned from day one, is number one for your health. Whenever we treat patients, we do all these things to help them, you know, recover. But one of the biggest things we teach them is create a safe home environment, create that safe sanctuary. And on the subject of lead, um, we see so many young people with lead in their bodies. Um, and we do like a metal challenge. A lot of times you can do a hair or blood test. You may not see it. Well, that's because the lead goes to the bones and it has a super long half-life and it goes to the brain. And all these chemicals, they, they want to go and just, they deposit basically in the fat tissue. And your brain is mostly fat. So it makes sense that this is happening. And so we uh, look at that to see, and uh, we're seeing a big trend that, like I said, with children. Indeed. You know, when I first met Dr. Ray, who passed away a couple of years ago, but I met him about 11 years ago and I was scheduled an appointment with him. And so Ellie called the day before and said, don't wear any lotions, don't wear any creams, don't wear any deodorant or anything. 
And so I said, okay, I'm going in the morning, so it's okay if I don't wear deodorant here in Texas. But when I went to his office, there was like this sealed door almost, right. a metal door. But I smelled clean air for the first time in my life. And I knew that was clean air because it smelled very differently from what I was walking out of. And that just amazed me and will forever be with me that you can smell clean air, but we don't know how it smells because we've never smelled it. Exactly. Indeed. And I think you all do a really good job. You're kind of like sleuths or forensic experts. When you see these issues, then you have to track down what's causing it. You mentioned earlier, too, that you are seeing in the young people a bioaccumulation, and I'm presuming that means a buildup. Yes. And if you're seeing this in young people, how does that affect the rest of us? That's scary. Right. So that's another trend is that the older patients are uh, getting much more dementia. Um, Alzheimer's is being diagnosed basically every three minutes. So the older patients have definitely had more issues. And more of, you know, I tell patients it's kind of like a grain of sand. You've got a pile in your body for so many years. Um, so, yeah, you're lowering your exposure. It's amazing, though, Bernice, how fast our bodies and our patients will respond when we just lower that load and get their house cleaned up and teach them how to do sauna and oxygen and different things to mobilize those toxins out of the fat stores. And sauna is a wonderful tool because it does release us from the fat. Um, so, yeah, it's been incredibly helpful. But, you know, the dementia rate is, as I said, very high, um, and, and so it's a real concern. And in over, all over the world, we're seeing that. People don't realize that there's 200 tons of mercury released every year from the polar caps. And there was a recent conference that we had with um, an Asian um, pediatrician because there's so much mercury in these children. He's seen a lot of that in his parents and in the children, and he's able to um, treat them with chelation, which is something else we do here. And it's, it's really amazing how he can reverse. He had a case of a plastic anemia in a baby, and it's reversed, just doing the detox of the, of the heavy metals, as well as neurological problems. In my conversations over our last year and a half of Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio, it has been some solace that a lot of these pollutants can be drawn out of the system through sauna. So I'm hoping now that my sauna will soon reopen <laughs> as a result of its pandemic shutdown. Last question, though, and again, we only have about a minute before we go to another break, but we'll be back on the other side of that. What pollutants are you seeing people most for in your practice, Stephanie? So right now, we're seeing a lot of lead and mercury, and we are also seeing a lot of the volatile organic compounds, especially gas additives, because of outside. The outside air, unfortunately, in the city is getting more and more polluted. So that's where your healthy home is important to have good air filtration and filters. And in the countryside, you know, we see more herbicides and we see a lot of uh, metabolites of herbicides, even silly dwellers and pesticides. So we're seeing all of those metabolites um, in very high levels in the patients. So um, that's, that's been increasing, like I said, much more than it was like 10 years ago. Indeed. And jumping back to you, Bill, really quickly, what are the major things, what are the top two things that you are seeing in causing pollution from the work that you do? Well, what, uh, what I would have mentioned are, are three things, if I might. Um, the, the chemicals in the dust that, we, that I was talking about right. earlier mm-hmm. are the flame retardants and the um, uh, stain repellent chemicals that are on many building products. And th- these are important because they're, 
they can be avoided, but not all products have yet shifted. So consumers have to be careful and look for products that don't have the flame retardants or uh, stain repellents on them. And the other thing that we really need to be looking at in this um, post-COVID environment is are the use of uh, widespread use of antimicrobials. <clears throat> In both as disinfectants for the built environment and within our building products. What people don't realize often is that antimicrobials are effectively pesticides that are regulated as such by the, by the Environmental Protection Agency. Uh, and although they are shown to be effective to kill the pathogens, they also can have impacts in our, on our own cellular activity. And I want to dig into that a little more because it's really relevant and timely right now, not just from this issue, but on some other levels also. We're going to go to break right now, and we will be back with these three experts who are making us all very smart. We'll be right back on the other side with Dr. Stephanie McCarter, with Ruth Ann Norton, and with Bill Wash. Thank you all. Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio. We are back with our show on indoor environments and health impacts with some very interesting conversation. And right before the break, Bill was talking to us about antimicrobials. And so we want to dig into that a little bit. And then after that, we want to go back to Stephanie to talk about the source of some of this lead that she's seeing. So, Bill, you were talking about the antimicrobials that we're all just slathering on right now due to COVID. That's the hand sanitizers, right, and all the various other things. So talk about that more in terms of what it is, how we're coming in contact with it, and why and how it's affecting our health. Sure. In terms of what we're slathering on ourselves, we're, we're typically using alcohol-based sanitizers, and, uh, and that is something that's very effective uh, in battling bacteria and viruses um, and <clears throat> with uh, a minimal impact on, on human health. What, what, what really concerns me are the use of, uh, you know, a dozen or more other pesticide agents, uh, especially in, in two types of uses. One is when uh, people are essentially fumigating office buildings or public spaces or spraying down things at night. Uh, the CDC has recently issued its guidance um, saying that the uh, COVID virus is, is not <clears throat> primarily transmissible from solid surfaces and specifically rec recommended against uh, massive uh, spraying or defogging of uh, built environments. So in if, if this is an issue in, in your school or your office building, your children's school, um, it's something that you should uh, alert uh, the, the administrators of the building to and really um, encourage them to avoid that completely. It, it's not effective in terms of stopping the virus, and you are exposing people constantly to, to very high doses of these pesticides in kind of an uncontrolled societal experiment because we've never been exposed at this level so frequently. The other way these antimicrobials are used is that they're embedded in products, and you'll frequently see the products proudly advertise themselves as antimicrobial. In terms of building products, you'll see these on solid surface countertops, for example, uh, sometimes doorknobs, door handles, and you can also find them in things like cutting boards, uh, items you might use around the kitchen. Um, and so the, this is really based, we've done an extensive analysis of this and published a report on it, uh, which we updated this year um, in light of COVID. And um, many authorities have looked at these 
product and found no improvement in terms of human health outcomes. And these authorities include the CDC, uh, the Kaiser Permanente Healthcare System actually prohibits the use of these uh, antimicrobials in their building product because they don't offer a health benefit to humans and they may actually be contributing to antibiotic resistance in the in the larger population. So the um, and actually when COVID first hit, the manufacturers of these antimicrobials issued statements that were very very clearly stated they did not provide protection against COVID. As the disease <clears throat> progressed, those statements were actually taken down from the manufacturers' websites and replaced with kind of more general, you know, uh, better safe than sorry type of language. But actually, the um, the use of of the widespread inclusion of pesticides into all of our products in our built environment is really the wrong way to go. And people should um, recognize that preferring to buy non-antimicrobial product would actually be healthier for them. We're kind of getting hooked that if we can get it built in, it's better. And I have to think that some of these wipes are dubious. I have some for hard surfaces, and I stopped using it because I just happened to look at it, and it didn't include some of the normal alcohol, but it, it actually yeah, had some interesting you, you really want to go with the alcohol-based formulas. And the other thing is if you read carefully, you read the instructions of disinfectants, even something like Lysol, um, in order to be effective, they typically have to be left on the surface for some extended period of time, which frankly most people don't do. And frankly, it's impractical for uh, for you know many commercial and school applications. So again, we're just kind of overusing these because people have more of a phobia about germs than they do about chemicals. Often they assume chemicals have been uh, regulated and proven safe before they're put on the market, which is a very incorrect assumption. Most chemicals have not been proven safe for humans in their widespread use like that. Indeed, we're just being marketed to. Ruthann, you wanted to weigh in on that. I wanted to actually ask, Bill, a question that comes up in the practice that we our schools are asking all the time about these sanitizers that are being used for offices, homes, nursing homes, schools. Um, are you seeing problems with that application uh, in in what we are using in those sprays to supposedly cut down on viruses? Yes, and then there are, you know, there are distinctions in the in the use of the terminology between uh, disinfectants and sanitizers and cleaners that are really lost on the general public. And I think as a, a, a rule of thumb, uh, the, the alcohol-based, uh, well, I'll be interesting if the, the doctor agrees with me on this, that the alcohol-based um, uh, wipes and sanitizers offer excellent protection with uh, lower, lowering the hazards to humans from the other chemical formulations. And also, if you read the CDC guidance, they're quite clear that it's cleaning, cleaning, not, not disinfecting and sanitizing, that is the number one strategy for virus avoidance. And in fact, you don't, there is a risk that if you rely on the chemicals, you don't actually clean as effectively as you might otherwise do. So the, the, if you read the CDC guidance, it's very clear cleaning first, cleaning is the most effective. And, uh, and then if you're gonna to move to the other um, products, I would, I would go with the alcohol-based formulas. Thank you. And Stephanie, can you weigh in on that in sure. terms of that as well as antimicrobials in general? So we know that viruses are very uh, easily destroyed. They're not very strong, you know, outside the environment. They're, they're easily destroyed. And, and like Bill was saying, good cleaning with soap and surfactants. And we do see that, you know, a lot of these disinfectants and these sanitizers have solvents. And this is the things we're talking about, like in the carpets and things. So 
here we are just dousing everything, covering everything with these benzene, toluene, xylene. These are all very toxic to the immune system. And our immune system is getting, is based in our gut, right? So that's our microbiome. That's our bacteria. So when we keep sterilizing our, our bodies, we don't have good bacteria. And that's one of the crucial things to health. And so we really try to tell patients to minimize the use of all these chemicals. And as again, the children are absorbing them at a much higher rate. And unfortunately, the schools are really, you know, using a lot of these um, and the more, you know, toxic kinds. And Lysol has a lot of phenol. And we've actually been able to skin test patients to see how sensitive they are to some of these things. And again, reproduce a lot of neurological symptoms, which people don't even realize that it's happening um, because, you know, they're exposed to all the time. So I agree with him 100%. We're over-sterilizing our kids. Stephanie, earlier you mentioned that one of the top things that you are seeing is lead. And so we were having the conversation. I want to talk a little bit more about that. Where is that coming from? You mentioned it's perhaps not just the children. Right. So we're seeing a lot of older people, especially people who fly frequently um, because there's lead in jet fuel. And so we see patients that are employees or that fly a lot um, with the air, airline industry. And it's just like I mentioned earlier, it's over time, you're just accumulating these, these different things, kind of like a grain of sand, and all of a sudden you've got a pile. And then also in young people, we are seeing a lot of lead because of the tattoo industry. We're seeing a lot of lead in the dye as well as mercury and, and cobalt. Um, so, yeah, uh, a lot of things are happening. And I do know that there's some lead in the LED lights. I know LED lights are the big energy-efficient, you know, go-to. And they say, well, there's a little bit of arsenic and lead in these. Um, it's not harmful, but we kind of disagree with that at the Environmental Health Center because we're learning that, you know, like you said, we're having an experiment going on with this, and we're learning that even the smallest particles can become a problem. And when you look at some of the things that Bill was talking about, too, like phthalates and these other solvents, and um, we call them persistent organic pollutants, you know, the PFOs that are in the uh, fire retardants. All of these things act in tiny amounts on the body like a hormone. That's why we call them an endocrine disruptors. Right. So, you know, we're seeing this epidemic of fibroids and infertility and prostate issues and um, birth defects. And so this is all related to that, as well as the phthalates, which hopefully will continue to decrease in our environment. So, Just one more minute before we go to break. And in our last section, I want to make sure that we talk about sick buildings and I want to talk about mold a lot. We've not opened up that can. But just before we go to, I want to talk about carbon monoxide and particulate pollution. Ruthann, can you weigh in on those a little bit? We just have a minute to go. But the prevalence and the pervasiveness of those two as it relates to housing and healthy housing and buildings. Carbon monoxide is something that people take uh, for granted as to their safety. And uh, one thing I'll just say very quickly is that is about 60% of the homes that we go in where people think they're protected by carbon monoxide alarms and detection, that is faulty. It is either uh, tied uh, to their electrical system, and if they, uh, you know, if that goes in and out, it may not come back on, or the batteries are, are or the, the detectors themselves are expired. And we find that, uh, you know, this is, this is an insidious and very silent uh, factor in, uh, obviously, brain damage, but death that we don't report uh, nearly uh, as we should. And so paying attention to basics. Thank you so much. I want to get all I can out of these very brilliant people. They're really making us smarter. We'll be right back on the other side after our break. And we want to give a shout out now to our sponsors. That is EarthX. 
the world's largest environmental experience, promoting environmental awareness through expo, conferences, film festival, interactive experiences, and now EarthX streaming TV. Our other sponsors, Natural Awakenings, Dallas-Fort Worth Magazine, the Green, Healthy, and Sustainable Living Authority for the DFW Metroplex and North Texas communities. Print issues of Natural Awakenings can be found in all Whole Foods markets, natural grocers, central markets, sunflower shops, and many, many other locations, as well as available free for download online at nadallas.com. Our other sponsor is North Haven Gardens. Serving the Metroplex since 1951, the most respected horticultural establishment in North Texas, offering gardening, plant education, concierge services, DIY classes, gifts, and more. Check them out at nhg.com. And our other sponsor is Lynn Dental Care. Practicing dentistry for over 38 years with a holistic approach, non-mercury, looking at the whole body. Specializing in periodontics, Dr. Lynn is certified by the International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology. Check them out at lindentalcare.com. Thank you, sponsors. Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio, our last segment on today's show on indoor environments and health and all of the impacts. And in this last segment of the show, we just want to get as much as we can from these very smart people who are really, really helping us to just understand the breadth and the width of this issue and how so many pollutants and contaminants that we live with every day are really impacting our health in profound but in many cases, unrealized ways. So right before the break, Ruth Ann with Green and Healthy Homes Initiative was just starting to talk to us. So if you talk to us more about radon and then tell us kind of a primer on this sick building syndrome, Ruth Ann. Well, I mean, I, you know, I think radon is, is uh, obviously a geographic issue uh, that has to do with how we circulate air and what is in the what is in the foundation beneath our buildings and houses. But I'll give you sort of a real contrast in this. Radon is an off-gassing that's coming out of the out of the core environment uh, and it's coming out of um, the shale the the the, the shell and the, the um, earth surfaces, right? That and if you do not have the right circulation, the off-gassing that's coming through your basements and your foundations um, your ventilation systems. Yeah, but if you don't have good ventilation, right, you're going to trap on gas in your home, and it's and it's as I said, the second leading cause of lung cancer. And so you can go on to the EPA maps and see where there are high risk areas by putting in your zip codes and areas. So it's something to pay attention to in your home and your renovation, uh, but in how you have air circulation. You don't want to tighten up a house so much that you keep and uh, into your house not only radon but other toxins. And don't some states have some regulation or legislation regarding that? Because I know in home purchases and sales, which I've done in Texas and Florida, I've seen riders or language in the contract that addressed radon. One hundred percent, and you have to pay attention to that as you're doing this work. But as people are doing add-ons and and uh, and looking at older houses, I live in a 265-year-old house in Baltimore. One of the very first things we did was to test for that and ensure that we had the proper uh, ventilation. 
The fix is relatively modest, uh, mostly, but it is can be uh, really damning on your health. But you know, we were also, but we were talking about like thick buildings and thick homes, right? One of the core issues that makes housing um, ha make housing unhealthy is moisture leakage and moisture intrusion coming from leaky roofs, leaky windows, uh, poorly weatherized uh, housing that over time causes that house, the you know, houses will expand and contract uh, it with weather. And if it is not properly ventilated, if it, we're not controlling the moisture intrusion into houses, we are setting up our own Petri dish for, for mold that is insidious, you may not see, it may be caused behind the walls, it gets into the air system, uh, it leads to chipping, peeling, flaking paint, uh, Weatherization, it leads to other issues, including uh, pests and, and things that bring other factors of poor indoor air quality. So you do have to look at your building envelope of this. And, and it is fundamentals, right? It's, it's uh, sound rooms, sound windows, uh, and sound foundations as we look at housing. But the most important thing that people can do is pay attention to essential maintenance practices within their home. The same as we were talking about cleaning, it is that, that core fundamental of essential maintenance practices that will keep us uh, from all these other things that we put into housing. Lead paint, for example, highly toxic and dangerous neurotoxin, but if not disturbed on, on walls is far less dangerous than when we allow it to get into a deteriorated condition and then it gets to become toxic leaded dust. Indeed. So when you say sick building syndrome, though, is that all of this together or what? Yeah, well, we talk about unhealthy housing. And okay. okay. Uh, so I'll defer to, to the doctor <laughs> and uh, Bill on the uh, sick building syndrome, but uh, unhealthy housing, unhealthy uh, indoor environments. Uh, but the opportunity to fix them uh, has a very quick and high rate of return in opportunity for kids in the classroom. And, you know, one thing to think about this in both in building environments and home environments is these sick homes and sick buildings have so much impact on people's ability to get to work um, and their ability, uh, therefore, to earn and uh, stay in stable environments. Uh, so it's not only their health impact, it's their economic impact. Are there any stats or numbers on the economic costs of sick houses, indoor uh, contaminants and pollution? Well, let's just start, start with $150 billion a year of, of costs that we know that we can prevent by lowering uh, lead in housing, uh, by addressing uh, those causes of respiratory disease and avoidable uh, injury. Okay, so you think that that 150 billion is primarily? I know it's a, probably a combination. It's a combination of health costs. What people? Well, those are all health costs. That's all health. Okay. Right there. So that is not even taking into account lost earnings, right? Lost opportunity, and not taking into account the savings of, from ener improving energy efficiency into wealth retention and intergenerational wealth transfer. So as we really think about health and equity, 
really improving these environments has a massive impact on opportunity and equity. Indeed, it's far-reaching. And Stephanie, really briefly, I know that you do a lot of work with EMF. You want to explain to our listeners what that is, where they come in contact with it, and MO, which I know is always a problem as well, in terms of health impacts. So, exactly. So, sick building syndrome can be just from the mold exposures. Okay. And we see the mycotoxins that are produced by the mold as a big problem in patients, and we can measure that. And they have a lot of neurological problems as, as they do with chemicals. And they kind of, if you've got both of those going on, it can be a real problem because they, they tie up the detox phenomena in the cell. So if you've got a mold issue, then people become more chemically sensitive. And, uh, and they immediately go from a moldy house to a brand new house where they got all the chemicals from the carpet and the new paint. And they get sick again. And they don't know why because, you know, I've got away from the mold. So we have to look at all of these things. And I was just going to mention electromagnetics is becoming a big issue. There's, um, there's four types of electromagnetics. There's the electrical fields, magnetic fields, the um, RF, which is what we're having this extreme increase in um, our exposure to these days because of the 5G, the 4G. And then we have dirty electricity. And what we're learning is that the FCC guidelines are about 26 years old, and everything's based on thermal effects, which is where they took a, a head, or like a... a basically a um, mannequin head and see how much the fluid heats up. And that's what we now know is, is kind of needs to be updated because we're seeing so many effects, primarily what's called oxidative stress. And oxidative stress on the cells creates a lot of diseases, diabetes, you know, dementia, Alzheimer's, MS. We're seeing a lot of neurological problems where they're, again, going to the doctor, going to the ER because they're having ringing in the ears, difficulty concentrating, feeling wired but tired, heart palpitations. And then they're given different medications, and unfortunately, no one's being educated on, you know, this could be this um, router in your house. And we're learning that it's really important to hardwire devices and lower the exposure to EMF, especially for children. And Dr. Ray said to me right before he died, he said, this is your generation's tobacco. And if you go to your phones and you go under legal, it'll say, don't wear this on your body. Don't keep this near your body. And I think we're, um, we're opening up a floodgate of real issues with this. And I would encourage listeners to go to 5Gcrisis.com and ehtrust.org, which is Environmental Health Trust, and get educated so we can tell there's a lot of communities right now that are already asking their legislators to hold off because this needs to be hardwired. We don't need this kind of radiation bombarding us. And I would really encourage patients because that's a big thing I'm seeing with smart meters and all the different things in homes. It's, it's just making it more complicated. Yeah, it's an unintended consequences. Thank you so much. Bill, last word on you because we hadn't heard from you lately. Really quick, you've got one minute. And that's to talk really briefly about the intersection of indoor environments and health issues and climate change. You know, that's a, that's a great point to, to end on because uh, obviously we want to have the healthiest indoor environments that we can. But through careful selection of our building materials, we can extend those health benefits because <clears throat> if you have fewer toxic chemicals in your products, uh, the products that you're installing, your construction site is going to be healthier. Your construction workers will be uh, exposed because obviously, say with a carpet, as you lay down that new carpet and you're on your hands and knees and your your nose is just instanced from that material, you're getting a very heavy dose of whatever chemicals are off-gassing from that carpet. So when we choose less toxic materials, we make a, a better place for the workers who are uh, uh, contractors and for the communities in which those products are produced. 
Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. And we're out of time, but I want all of you all promise me that you will come back. The last show of every season, we started it last season, this season will be the same, will be about children, environmental effects in our children. Because we learned over last year that someone said 80% of the brunt of environmental issues rests with our children. We have our typical vulnerable populations, but people don't tend to think children are probably at the top of that heat. So again, thank you so much. We have been with Ruth Ann Norton with the Green and Healthy Home Initiative. We have been with Bill Walsh with the Healthy Homes Network and Dr. Stephanie McCarter with Environmental Health Center Dallas. Thank you all so much. And thank you for listening today, listeners, to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio. The conversation starts here But our goal is for it to continue in your home, in your social circles, your workplaces, at the water cooler, and in the grocery checkout line, so that we can all work together to realize that healthy living is simply not possible without a healthy planet. Our culture is a result of a trillion tiny acts taken by billions of people every day, like yourselves. And each of those tiny acts can seem insignificant, but all of them add up one way or the other to the change we each live through. Thank you so much. This is Bernice Butler, your host, and join us again next week for more as we talk about cities, infrastructure, and the built environment. Thank you. Thank you.